Right, so um, it's good to be here with you all this morning, and uh, let me say once again, welcome to Easter Friday, or Good Friday, as many call it, and um, so today we are going to be looking at Mark chapter 15, we'll be quite an extended reading from verse 16 to 39, and um, but before we get to the passage, I don't know about you, if you are a Christ follower, uh, this is one of the most significant events um, in the history of the church. Um, and, and what we see uh, on Good Friday is unlikely victory in an unlikely way. That's what we get to see when we tell the story of the cross. And today that's what we are going to be looking at the victory that we have obtained through the cross, the victory that uh, the church has obtained through the cross. And, uh, and it's not only the victory for the church, but it's also a victory for those who look up to Jesus and surrender and give themselves to the leadership of Jesus Christ. And, and, and that's the victory that we are going to be looking at today. So this morning we pick up the story after Pilate has offered the people who were shouting and screaming. They said, we don't want Jesus. We want Jesus to be crucified. If you read from uh, this one of uh, chapter 15, um, the people are demanding that Barabbas being released, but they want Jesus to be crucified. And Jesus is actually humbly accepting, you know, to, to take that particular offer on, in our place. He accepted to go, to follow, even if he was not guilty, but he took, you know, he accepted the charges, he accepted the sentence, and uh, he said, you know what, I'm going to walk this road. So we are going to be reading from uh, verse 16. I am asking, I've asked uh, Sanet to come and read then we are going to be looking into this verse. Can I just ask you to please, because it's a long read, I want to ask you to really listen carefully. I want to ask you to really, um, it's my prayer that as you listen to the scripture, uh, you can ask this question. Ask God to review to you why it was necessary for him to die on your behalf. As we are listening to this scripture, because to Christ followers, this is not new. You look forward towards to Good Friday and, and, and or Easter Friday. But as you are listening, I want you to really processing and asking God this question. God, review to me why it was necessary for you to die on my behalf. Why was it necessary? And let the Holy Spirit speak to you. So I please... Um, just before I start, I've often read this scripture and one can tend to feel a little bit like I would never have done that. But today as I read it, imagine you could have been one of the soldiers. You could have been one of the chief priests. 
you could have been one of those robbers. There's nothing so good about you that you couldn't have been one of those people. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him, and when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, and he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes in to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Oh, Lord Jesus, we are just so humbled when we read this verse and look at the darkness in our own lives and how We are just so desperately in need of you as a savior, and you loved us despite that darkness. You loved us despite the fact that we didn't even know how much we needed you. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. God, we thank you for sending your son to save us. And Lord, we pray that we will never, ever feel like this is just something that's a story, but it's something that has restored us and brought us into the life that we're in. And we pray, Lord, that you will be with us during this time of Easter, as there's just so much going on in the world, but you are the light of the world, and you're asking us to be the light that shines in the darkness. Pray that you'll just bless Andre now as he preaches. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, Senate. I, I want to invite you to see this passage through two lenses. The first one is the lens of victory. The lens of victory, Jesus on Good Friday is doing what no one else can do. As we've just read, he's doing what no one else can do. He's surprising death and darkness and decay with victory over them that they could had never expected. This is not the first time that a person is carried to this place of the scar. You know, there are other criminals with Jesus. People have walked this road before. But this time, it is so shocking because there is victory that is being won. There is a victory that death is surprised, the darkness is surprised, and that's why I'm inviting you to look at this um, with that lens of victory. Why also the lens of victory? It's because you notice that as we are going to look at some of these verses, Jesus is not fighting back. He's actually fighting back with love. As Paul would say, the Apostle Paul realized that this would have either be seen as foolishness. That's how Paul would put it. When he preached the message of the cross, he said this would have been seen as foolishness. But to others, it is the wisdom and joy or the wisdom and the grace of God. And it is my prayer that as we look at these verses, you are going to see this message of the cross not as foolishness, but you are going to see it as victory, but at the same time you are going to see it as great grace of God. It's a great invitation. It's a great gift that God has given the world. That's why I said, look at it uh, with a lens of victory. And secondly, read through this passage, as we are going through it with the lens of substitution, he did this for you. Jesus did it for you. Jesus did it for me. He did it for us. So he went where we should have gone. That's where Jesus went. He gets what we certainly deserve more than he did. So we deserved all that we've just read. We were the one who deserved that, but Jesus really received it. He went through it. He did it for you. He did it for me. As, as we know that we live in a world of self-belief and self-confidence, but can I invite you this Good Friday? Maybe it's a call for us you know, it's a call to humility, a call to reflect, you know, self-reflection on the need for God to die that we might live. Maybe this Easter, won't you just reflect on that, that there is that need. 
I know that especially the culture in Cape Town, it's a culture of self-confidence. You know, you need to be strong. You need to be hard. It's a culture of self-belief. But can I invite you, can I invite us to really use this time to reflect on what God has done for us? Now, let's, um, let's hold those two things in mind, victory and substitution. Let's hold those things in mind as we look through some of these verses. So we look from verse 16 to verse 20. Here we see the Roman soldiers, how skilled they are. They are skilled mockers. They know just where to hit. They know what to say. We see Jesus being abused, not only being beaten, but also being abused verbally. Again and again, they strike him on the head with a staff and spit on him. You know, they're even falling down to him. They're making fun of him. They're saying to him, are you not the king of the Jews? All sorts of things are said to Jesus by the Roman soldiers. As Annette said before she read, she said that any of us would have been one of these guys. Any of us would have been the Roman, one of the Roman soldiers standing there or the people who are actually screaming and, and saying, we want him dead. We want him crucified. And what we learn from these verses is that Jesus is not afraid to experience shame. He's really not afraid to experience shame. And there is a reason why Jesus is not ashamed to experience uh, shame. It's simply because he looks forward to the joy set before him. That was what forces Jesus to embrace the shame, the humiliation, you know, the, the insults, all that he went through as we see in these verses because he was looking forward to the joy that was set before him. Why looking forward to the joy that was set before him? Because he saw what that was bringing. It was bringing about an upside-down victory. And here we see that love was winning. Love was winning. That's what we can see from these verses. Jesus is starting a revolution of love when we preach about the cross, not by sending off soldiers to the front lines. He's not sending the soldiers to go and stand on the borders, but by himself going there and fighting the greatest battles of human arts the greatest battle of shame. Jesus went to fight it himself and relational pain. He went himself. He's standing before the cross. He's not asking. In fact, abandoned and left by some of his disciples. He said, I'm okay to go. I'm okay to carry the cross. And we see from verse 22 to 25, they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with milk, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. 
It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read the king of the Jews. This is the only charge that Jesus was charged. Usually the crucifixion, when you are to be crucified, the practice was done by the Roman soldiers. It was based at least on three groups of people. The slaves, the political rebels, and the people who would actually go against the system that they had put in place. Those people would suffer, the criminals or the murderers would suffer, they would crucify them so that other people don't repeat that act of political rebellion or to be murderers or to, you know, slaves when they commit something wrong. Something very important in these verses, it says... They offered him wine mixed with May. That line. And if we look back into Jesus' ministry in the book of Mark from chapter 1, we see that Jesus' ministry began with a 40-day experience of temptation in the desert where he was offered the world in exchange for his art. So right from start, Jesus was offered something in exchange for his art. Now, I'm saying this because for Jesus to get all the way to this point of the cross, it didn't just come, he started his ministry, then the cross was presented to him. No, he went through temptation, and he needed to overcome those temptations in order for him to get to the cross. And he overcame those temptations because of you and because of me. He was offered all the money. He was offered the world in that temptation, but he refused to trade his heart. He refused to get all that because he was looking forward to that joy, the joy that was set before him. He was looking forward to see you and me being adopted to be part of God's family. So as we embark on this journey, as we look unto the cross, now I want you to imagine with me the temptations Jesus may have felt when we read these verses. The temptation Jesus may have felt when we read these verses. I'll say the first one is hurry. To hurry through the cross. Like a good leader who knows the outcome. You know, you do things, you know, you know all the things, you know how it's going to end. Jesus would have just said, you know what guys, do fast because I know where it's going to end. No. He went at God's pace to accomplish God's work. He did not rush the process. He never went through any shortcut. He wanted to make sure that he honored the Father. Remember the prayer before? He said, not my will, but your will be done. He overcame the temptation of Ari. The second one, it's the temptation of distraction. To distract himself from the cross. Take your mind off it. Think about it when you've got so many issues. Some advice people say, take some cup of beers, then you are going to forget about it. Watch the game or play too many games, then it's going to go away. Or check the Instagram post or Facebook, go and post your own pictures, then you feel better about it. Jesus did not do 
anything to try and distract himself. In fact, in Luke chapter 9 verse 51, when the time was approaching, Jesus set his mind towards Jerusalem. He was looking forward to face this enemy called death because of you, for, for your sake and for my sake. And the third temptation is to attempt to get down off the cross. To attempt to get down off the cross. Think about this. This is the same Jesus who walked on water. It was easy for Jesus to look on the side and say, you know what, I'm going to get myself down here. It's very easy. This is the same man who multiplied the fish and the bread and people eat. Nothing was too difficult for him. But the question we have to ask is, why is it that Jesus did not live up to? Why is it that he didn't give up to this temptation? He didn't want it to get down the cross. Why is it that he stayed on the cross? He accepted the insult, the, you know, abandoned by people and people are crossing are passing by they are looking at him in fact they are saying words such as hey you did save others but why can't you now save yourself because they knew what jesus was capable of but in this act of great humility jesus was creating a feast that's the reason why he refused to go down it was a love feast a love feast. It was one that all people would be invited to. That many people would be served through this act. So that many people can actually obtain life. Many people can come to know God. Many people can re-establish back the relationship that they had lost with God. The identity that we had lost as a result of sin. Through the act of the Jesus on the cross. That all these things will come back to us. We can stand and walk confidently. We can actually... Trust God even when things are not right. We can say we are standing in Jesus because of what he has done for us. You see this? That's why Jesus refused to come. If Jesus would have come down from the cross, it wouldn't have been easy for teachers to sacrifice their lives this time for other people's kids. They are doing it because they understand the love of Jesus. There are so many institutions today they can learn from the love of Jesus because of the cross. He had all the power, he would have come down. He had all the power to call the angels to come and strike everyone. He had all the power to say, the son, I want you to stop. Right now, I want you to kill this. He had all the power to actually say, Father, I want you to kill all these enemies. I want you to prove to them that I'm really the king of kings. But he never did it. If Jesus would have come down, there would be no there would be no sacrifice that we see other doctors are really sacrificing their lives for the well-being of other people it's when you understand the love of god then you understand what it means the love that you've received you can understand what it means to give it away if jesus would have come down off the cross people wouldn't have understand what it means to save through the, love, the body of Christ. People don't under, understand what it means to save the vulnerable. But because you see what he has done for you, what he has done for us, 
on the cross. Therefore, it gives you confidence that the love that I've received, I can also give this love freely to others. I love how Pastor Dan puts it. Uh, I took this from his book uh, called The Gentle, uh, Gentle and Lonely, and he says this. It is one thing to describe what your husband says and does and looks like. It is something else, something deeper and more real to describe his art for you. So with Christ, it is one thing to know the doctrines of the incarnation and the atonement and a hundred other vital doctrines. It is another, more searching matter to know his heart for you. Who is he? So we can, we can talk about all these doctrines. We can talk about all these things that Jesus has done. That's the reason why Jesus coming down from the cross would have just been another miracle. But I think him staying there, it is to show the level of the heart. How he carries you on his heart. How he carries me on his heart. It is the sign to show that you are not just in my mind. You are not just in my soul. But I want you to know you are here. I am doing this for you. I am going to endure the cross for you. I am going to make sure that you regain back your identity. The identity that had been lost when we read Genesis. Right at the beginning in Genesis chapter three when we read about the fall of man that identity jesus is restoring it on the cross i know for sure that for many of us this year has been a year of great loss we are learning on all new levels what it means to take up our cross what it means to follow christ But I want you to know one thing as well. It is in this time, especially on this day, as we think about the cross, in times where the cross is doing a deep work in our lives, we have to be careful because we are faced with at least three temptations. And these are the temptations that we have to manage and to live with, especially in this time. The first one is, we hurry through the cross. You are thinking about how things are happening in your life, how things are happening in my life. Then we hurry through the cross and not learn from Jesus that he overcame the temptation of hurry. There is another temptation. We distract ourselves from the cross. So we kind of like we look at it, we don't see any meaning in it. We don't see the impact of what God has done for us. We distract ourselves from the cross because we are too occupied with our own needs, our own issues. And thirdly, we attempt to get down off the cross. We want to run quick. But let me say to you, it's about embracing the work of the cross so we can experience resurrection life. If we embrace what Christ has done for us, we can experience resurrection life through our Lord Jesus. So let's quick look at verse 36. So again, another soldier ran to Jesus, filled the sponge with wine, vinegar, put it on, on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. 
Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. Because Jesus was calling upon the Lord. He's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they say that he's calling on Elijah. Let's see if you come and take him down. And in verse 37, we are told with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And when Jesus did that, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Now, I just want you to get that. Surely this man was the son of God. Now, this man, I believe it is not his first time to see people being crucified. But what he's saying, he's telling us here is that this is very unique. This is, this has never happened because the verses before that in verse 33, we are told there is a darkness and the skies are dark and everything is just going, you know, crazy. It's not looking normal. And this man says, this man being crucified here, this Jesus is surely the son of God. And I want you to notice the measure of this unlikely victory here. He is defeated the powers, governmental and religious powers defeated by love. Jesus did not have any soldiers with him on the cross to fight back, but it's true love that Jesus defeated all the powers. He is defeated temptation, hurry, distract, and get off. He defeated those three temptations. He is defeated rejection. His own disciples had left him. The humans he created... But yet Jesus continued with his work through love. Jesus stayed there. Even the sky went dark. The cosmos reacted to this cosmic event. And when we are going to come on Sunday, we are going to see how this victory continues. It doesn't stop just here on Friday. The, the, The sky doesn't just go dark, but it continues even on Sunday. But today, what we must know is that Jesus is the king over all things, even the planets. He's the king over all things. He defeated isolation. That's what we are told in these verses. The temple curtain is torn. The temple curtain is torn. Between God and humans was the curtain into holy of holies, allowing only the cleansed priest in once a year would go into that place to sacrifice for the rest of the people. This was no coincidence. And the New Testament explains it so powerfully. God has defeated all that stood between him and us. This is a new relationship through Jesus Christ. When Jesus went on the cross, it's a new relationship. The tearing of the curtain made that very clear. It's giving us access to God the Father. There is no need for one priest to go into the temple, the building, so that he can sacrifice on behalf of all of us because Christ has done it. And it is today that Jesus made it possible for us. Friends, we are invited into this, a relationship with God. Not on our basis, but on the basis of Jesus' great victory and his glorious substitution. He defeated every enemy between 
us and God. He stood in our place and received what was ours upon himself. And now we can be his people. I want you to know this. Jesus purchased you on Good Friday. So if you are a Christ follower, this should really have a deeper meaning. He purchased you on Good Friday. He beat every enemy. An obstacle between you and the life of death and joy in the presence of the king. Can you see that? This is what the cross means. One of the most important passages of scripture explaining how God provided salvation for us is Romans 3, 21 to 26, which says, But now a righteous from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophet testify. The law and the prophet testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sin, the sins committed beforehand and punished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus our Lord. Quick, let's look at these verses. Verse 21, God has provided a righteousness apart from the law. That is, he has provided a way for us to become righteous before him. And it has nothing to do with keeping a set of laws. That's what it says here. He knows we cannot do that. He knows we cannot do so. He knows we cannot keep the set of laws. That's why he provided for us another way. And verse 22, the way of becoming right with God, righteous in his sight, is through faith in Jesus Christ. We cannot become right with God without faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It is not our good works, but his sacrificial death on the cross that has the power to save us. It is the sacrificial death of Jesus that has the power to save us. And you may ask the question, why must salvation be true faith in Jesus Christ? I think we see the answer in this passage. If you said, why is it just faith through Jesus and apart from the law and not the law? The answer is, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are sinners, completely unable to measure up to, the, to God's standards. We cannot measure up to God's standards. We cannot measure up to God's righteousness. And in verse 24, we are justified. That's what we are told. This means that we have been brought into right, standing with God by being declared righteous 
in his sight. By being declared righteous in his sight, not through our works, but through the death of Jesus. This could have never happened as a result of our works. Because we've sinned and fallen short of God's standards. Instead, it is by his grace. That's why we are told. We are justified purely by the redemption Jesus provided. Not by any good works we have done. There is nothing that we've brought to the table besides our sins. You don't look at yourself and say, I'm a good person, therefore I deserve God's gift of salvation. No, there is nothing, no contribution from our sides besides the sin that put Jesus on the cross. In verse 25, how did, Jesus, how did God provide redemption in Christ? He offered Jesus' blood, his life, as a sacrifice of atonement. Jesus died to bear God's righteous punishment for our sins. His death is not just a death. It's not just any kind of death. It is a death that brought us peace. He died in our place, accepting our judgment. This was necessary to demonstrate his justice. He could not just ignore or overlook our sins. There is no way that God could have ignored or overlooked our sins. He had to punish sin to return his justice. And that's what happened on Good Friday. That's what happened on Easter Friday. The atoning death of Jesus is ingenious. God remains just. Sin is punished. And at the same time, finds a way to pardon sinners like me, and to reconcile us with himself. This is what it means to be saved by grace. Grace is undeserved favor that we get to receive from God. And it happens on Good Friday. It happens today. Undeserved favor. God has done something for us that we do not deserve. He has provided a way for us to be saved. He offers us salvation as a free gift. That is as something we do not have to earn for ourselves. There is nothing that we can give to God so that we can earn salvation. But one thing we have to understand is that God has made this way for us to be saved, but we still have to meet the condition he has laid down in front of us. And the condition is that salvation is a free gift. So it is a gift that God has given to us, but we must receive that gift. So it's not a gift that is given, then you, you can't like, you just, order. no, we have to accept because if a gift is given to you, it is your responsibility to turn it away or to accept the gift. So there is a condition. God has made a way. He's given us salvation. He's given us his son, Jesus Christ. But there is a condition in order for us to receive the gift. How do we receive the gift of salvation? We receive it through faith. Grace is God's part and faith is our part. So God... He shone as his grace. He gave us his son, Jesus. But our part is faith. Are you ready to really trust in him? Are you ready to say, I want to receive this gift of salvation? 
Just as we get to land, and I'm going to call Ryan up very shortly to get to communion. Today I wonder if we could take our cue from Jesus and resist the temptation to hurry through the cross, to get distracted from the cross, and to try to get off it. For that matter, this may even apply to your season in life right now. Difficulties you face, whether relational, financial, physical, or other types of difficult. I believe that we all want resurrection experiences, but this Easter, would you resist in your season in life trying to hurry? Would you resist that, trying to hurry? Would you resist trying to get distracted? Would you resist trying to get off your cross? But to know that Jesus will walk with you through it. To know that whatever you are going through, because he went on the cross on this day, he bought you on Good Friday, he will walk with you through all the difficulties. But can you just resist that temptation of hurry? Can you resist the temptation of distraction? And the temptation that is trying to push you to get off your cross. And when you do that by faith, resurrection life is coming. And there is more to come on Sunday as we continue to look at the victory that Jesus has obtained on our behalf. Can I invite us to stand? And I'm going to ask the band to please come up.